0: today. Hey, if you can find your Bible, wherever you are today, just go ahead and find your Bible, open it or turn it on. We're going to be in John chapter 9 today. John, find a Bible because we're going to be working through the entire chapter, so you're going to it today. Uh, I know, I know, reading the Bible in church, it's such a crazy idea, right? Crazy idea. So, if you guys know this, sing this line of, of music with me. I once was lost, sing it with me if you're not. But now I am found, was blind, but now I see. Today I, I want to talk to you about that line in that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, Was blind, but now I see. Because our, our journey with Christ does not begin with spiritual impairment. It actually begins in spiritual darkness. To help you get your mind around this, uh, we are spiritually blind. But then God does something that only God can do. God begins to shine His light into the darkness. So how does, how does the Waymaker shine His light into the darkness. Well, there are several things that God does to penetrate that light. First of all, we see the majesty of God in His creation. Have you ever been in the mountains or beside a beautiful body of water, and you just look out and you say, man, this is just incredible, and you are awestruck at the power of God that testifies to the light in the darkness. Whenever we open the Scriptures and we see the truth of God, we see the light shining through the darkness. Jesus Christ himself referred to himself as I am the light. He is the light shining in the darkness. The church itself is called to be light in the darkness and the Holy Spirit strengthens us and empowers us and illuminates the truth of God so that we might not be stuck in darkness but we can see the light of God shining into the darkness and he shows us the way. And the Holy Spirit brings the spiritual world into focus so that you can see and respond to the gospel. You see, God loves you too much to just let you stay the same. God calls you to what's next. But He doesn't say, hey, here's where I'm calling you. Good luck with that. He also empowers you and He lights your way so that you can follow him and serve him and be the person he has called you to be. So look in your Bibles, John chapter 9, John chapter 9. We pick up here with the story of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And the Bible says, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So there are few scenes in life more beautiful than that moment whenever a baby is born. You know, go back. If you have children, go back in time to that moment when you were in the birthing room. I remember whenever McKenna was, was born, and it was just this incredible celebration. It had been a little bit of a rough labor, and we were taking pictures. I was over there trying to lean over the nurses and get pictures of her, and we were taking pictures and celebrating her birth, And then suddenly the doctor started going, oh my, oh my, oh my. And I was like, what? What's going on? And, and he had seen a uh, defect in the placenta. And so he looks at me and he basically says, uh, she could have died. Just one little thing go differently. She wouldn't have been born. And I, I looked at him, and I was like, "But she's okay, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, she's okay." Uh, but there was that moment where we were celebrating the birth of our child, and then just in a in a instant, suddenly we were in this danger. This this uh, kind of your heart stops when you have a moment like that. And can you imagine giving birth to a child, and then as those first few weeks begin to unfold, you discover that your baby can't see. That your baby's blind and you begin to accept that and you begin to uh, you love the child and, and you raise the child and the child grows into a man and you think about these disciples as they go past him and just how unbelievably insensitive they were to his situation the question that they ask uh, Jesus tell us now this guy over here he's blind and we want to know something was it was it this guy or his parents who sinned. Now think about all the assumptions that they were making. Assumptions are one of those things in life you got to be really careful with, right? We often make assumptions. Anybody guilty of making assumptions? Sure. We often make assumptions, and sometimes whenever we make those assumptions, they make us look foolish. Our assumptions can cause us to say some, some dumb things they can cause us to spout off about things that we don't know anything about. So growing up, my, my father, he was a pastor for about 60 years, and uh, he preached every sermon he ever preached, he preached out of the King, King James Bible translation. I, I enjoy the old English of the King James. And, and I had an assumption in my mind. I assumed that since he preached out of that all the time, that he would be upset. If I read the Bible in another another English translation. Now, mind you, I was in college at this point. I was about a fresh, I think I was a freshman sophomore in college. So I got a NIV, an NIV Bible, and and I remember I was reading it, and I was I was so scared of my dad catching me reading the Bible, that I was reading the Bible with a flashlight underneath the sheets at night. I mean, how crazy is that? Like, my dad's going to come into my room and say, Son, what are you doing, reading the Bible? I mean, uh, and it turned out that my assumption was absolutely wrong. I mean, he, he, would, he would work out of different English translations in his study. He just preferred to preach out of the King James. But assumptions can lead us to judgmental attitudes in ourselves. And catch this part, all right? Catch this part. Hear me. Assumptions can lead us to pour false guilt on other people. So here's this blind man, and he was being showered in false guilt by the disciples. Hey, hey Jesus, tell us who messed up, this guy or his parents? How do you think that made him feel? He hadn't done anything wrong. And so Jesus responds to this in verse 3. He says, "...neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world." That's part of that uh, song that we were singing. Jesus is the light, the way maker of the world. Verse 6, After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. Now, let me pause here and once again deal with a question that we talked about briefly last week. Why is there so much suffering in the world. Why is there so much suffering in the world? And I want to give you five reasons why there is suffering in the world. The the first is that the creation is broken. So when God finished creation, he looked at it and said, this is good. But you know the story of Eden. Sin slithered into the scene, and suddenly the shalom, the peace of creation, was fractured. And if you read the Bible, you actually can see it as a story of God's restoring His creative order. So you have creation, you have the fall of humankind, you have the story of redemption through Christ, you have the invitation of Christ for you and for me to believe, and then you have the restoration of all things when Christ comes again. And as you look at the narrative of Scripture, you see the story of God healing the broken creation. But we also have suffering in this world because other people sin. When other people sin, it has consequences upon ourselves, yourself. Nobody's an island unto yourself. I remember whenever I used to play football, I had, a, I had a coach that when somebody made a mental error, we all had to run. Anybody have a coach like that? Yeah. And, and my coach, he wasn't really made for the snowflake era. Uh, because, because as we were running, he would like yell out the name of the person who made the mental error. You boys are running because Todd made a mistake over there. You know, it wasn't exactly uh, easy on your self-esteem, especially when you were the one that made the mental error. But we, we, we were a team. And in life, you are connected to people. And whenever we do things that are wrong, it doesn't just affect you. It affects other people as well. That's why God says, you know, the Bible's about the only thing in our culture that says don't do that anymore. And there's times where the Bible says don't do that because God knows if you engage in that, it's going to hurt you, but it's not just going to hurt you, it's going to hurt other people around you. So there's suffering because of the broken creative order. There's suffering because of people's sins, both yours and the sins of others. And sometimes suffering can actually be for your benefit. Sometimes in order for us to grow, we have to go through some suffering. Has anybody else put on the quarantine quarter? I've, uh, so, so I get on the scale the other day, and, and uh, yeah, the coach says, hey man, you need to lose 20 pounds before you report to training camp. I'm like, well, good thing training camp's already over, you know? So, uh, but, but yeah, you get the quarantine quarter as we've been uh, making a few more trips to the pantry, but the only thing that's really going to help take all that off is to go through a little bit of discomfort. I'm going to have to exercise a little bit. I'm going to have to say no to two Twinkies, you know? Uh, maybe just settle for one. Okay, no, all right, you guys run a hard bargain, don't you? But I'm going to have to say no to some things in life, in order to, to benefit, and some, in some occasions we have to go through suffering in order for us to grow. There's a fifth reason, and that is what you see in the text here. God wants to display His work through you. Jesus said to the disciples, This man wasn't, isn't blind because he sinned or his parents sinned. He was born blind for this moment because God is about to do a great work in Him. In every adversity in your life, there is always opportunity. What are the adversities that you're facing right now? In every adversity, there is opportunity. It was a bad day when Ruth lost her husband. It was a tough day when she left the land in which she was raised, And she said goodbye to all of her friends. That was hard. That was adversity. But God was also bringing a new opportunity into her life. Eventually, He would use Ruth, a Gentile woman, as part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. It was a bad day when Jochebed placed her little son, Moses, into that basket and she sent him down the Nile River thinking that she would never see him again. But that adversity brought about an opportunity for God to deliver the baby to the Pharaoh's daughter and for Moses to be raised in the palace of Egypt and to eventually grow up and become one of the greatest liberators the world has ever seen. Moses became a chain breaker as God used him to deliver the children of Israel from slavery. It was a bad day when David stared eyeball to belly button with the great giant Goliath. There was a lot of adversity coming his way, but there was also an opportunity because God was going to use this moment of adversity to transform a shepherd boy into a great warrior and eventually fulfill his anointing in making David the king of the empire of Israel. You see, in your adversity, there is also opportunity, and when you go through great pain, God builds within you great strength, not so that the moment can just implode upon you and you can tell everybody, hey, look at me, look at how great I am, but so through that great strength that you possess, because you have transcended that moment, Moment of pain, you can now minister to others and be a part of the symphony of praise that is bringing worship and glory to our Lord. And you can use your life for your creative purpose to be a part of God's mission for your life. In every adversity that we go through, there is also opportunity. So, earlier, if you identified your adversities, what are the opportunities in that adversity? Perhaps you need to take out a piece of paper. Somewhere during this week, if you're really bored, you can even do it during the sermon right now, okay? Uh, But on one side, write, write adversity. On the other side, write opportunity. And just begin connecting the opportunities that are birthed out of adversity. Now realize this. Until the day of restoration, there will always be suffering. But within that suffering, there is also opportunity. Let's go back to our story we are in verse 8 right now. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? And some said, He's the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, <laughs> I'm the one. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes open? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam Siloam, and, and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Just a parenthetical thought here. Jesus placed the mud on his eyes and then told him to go and wash. He didn't heal him at that moment. The man had to obey. And when he went and washed, he received his sight. Where is he? they asked. I don't know, he said. Now, I think this is one of the funniest little sections in the Bible. You have this man who had just gotten healed, and he starts talking to everybody, and it's, it's like one of those extreme makeover shows. Nobody, nobody is sure that it's exactly him. Some are like, well, I think this is the guy that we've seen begging all of his life, and others are like, well, no way, that guy was blind. This guy's not blind. I'm not sure. And he's like, it's me, it's me, it's me, and he was having to convince people. That it was him, and then as he's able to see, the the first thing they're like they they say to him basically is, "Well, who healed you? Who who dared heal you basically on the Sabbath?" So let's continue on in verse thirteen. So they bring the man. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, you may remember, they're the religious leaders, and um, they were often corrupt. They had quite a few issues. And so they bring this man to the Pharisees, and the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. The Sabbath was on Saturday, and you'll recall that on the Sabbath day, the Jewish people were were not allowed to do any work. They were supposed to devote that day entirely to worship, and it had been twisted into something that it was never intended to be. It had been twisted into something that was very, very oppressive, and so so the scandal here, dun-dun-dun is that Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. He told them, I wash and I can see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. They're talking about Jesus because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So literally, they're arguing and fighting over the miracle that has just taken place. Again, they ask the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he says, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Now, don't miss the irony here. Because within this chapter, there is this theme of spiritual blindness. So here is the blind man who had begged all of his life, probably didn't know much Scripture. I doubt seriously in that culture that he was well-educated, but he could see the work of God. He could see that, that the one who healed him was a man of God. And then on the other side, the contrast you have the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they, they, they had plenty of things. They knew the Scriptures. They were well-educated. They were very, very conservative in their beliefs. But they were completely blind. The Son of God was right in front of them. And they couldn't even see God right in front of their eyes. They were so blinded by their own pride and their own rules that they had actually begun to see evil as good and good as evil. Look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. So so the Jewish leaders, they, they think he's lying. So they're like, well, well, get his parents in here. So they bring his parents in there, and they ask him, is, your, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age, he will speak for himself. Now don't miss verse 22. His parents said these things because they were, what's the word? Afraid. Afraid. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said he is of age Ask him Now, if the last section amused me a little bit, this section here nauseates me. Because here's the Pharisees, so blinded by their Sabbath rules, they couldn't even celebrate a man who had been blind all of his life receiving his sight. They couldn't even celebrate an incredible miracle of God right in their midst. And then if you continue reading into the story, you you discover that the Pharisees had created a culture of fear to the point that the parents were basically willing to throw their own son under the bus. Yeah, we recognize him, but we're not going to speak for him. Talk to him. He's of age. They were willing to throw their son under the bus in order to avoid the wrath of the Pharisees. What kind of culture had they created in the temple? What kind of culture had they propagated in in Jerusalem? One that is not of God. You see, here's one of the major differences between the messages of Jesus and the message of the Pharisee. The message of Jesus redeems people with grace and spreads through love. The message of the Pharisee redeems people with rules and spreads through fear. One is a relationship. The other is a religion. And you need to recognize this, that motivated by love, God sent His Son to live the life that you and I could never live, so that whoever believes in Him does not perish but have everlasting life. The story of the gospel is a story that is anchored in grace, and the message spreads whenever the love of God begins to take root in you and me, and we spread the message of Christ throughout the world. The flip side of this is this message of behavior modification. If you just follow the rules, if you do better, if you try harder, then you'll be okay. And if you follow my rules, I'll get you in. Now, what does that message spread with? Fear. Because the flip side of that is, if you don't follow my rules, I'll kick you out. There will always be preachers and teachers who try to redefine and redirect you from grace. And the default is that we try, they try to move you to rules. The reason being, is because if we can take grace out of Christianity and reduce it to just a set of behaviors, then you can be dominated instead of loved. A godly preacher, a godly teacher, will lovingly, lovingly remind you of the truth of the Word of God, but they will also lead you to the grace that can save you. Now stick with me, okay? Okay. The grace that saves us is also the grace that matures us. You see, the grace of God, the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, is not just the starting point of Christianity. It is the anchor point, the foundation point. Because in that grace that comes to us through Christ as a gift from God, we also are able to be spiritually mature. If you lose sight of the grace of God, your spiritual growth becomes stunted because you get trapped by pride. A godly preacher wants you to be free. A godly preacher wants you to be loved and to know God's love and to be secure in that love. And a godly teacher of Scripture will always lead you to share that love, to share that gospel, that good news with others. So, a second time in verse 24, they summoned him. We almost have an entire trial going on, don't we? So they they summoned him a second time, the man who had been blind and told him, "Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner." And he answered, whether or not we're talking about Jesus here, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. And now I can see. I love this guy. This guy's awesome. And then they, they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said. You didn't listen. <laughs> hey, I have to repeat myself. Why do you want to hear it again? And then I love this last part. You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? <laughs> Hey, are you, are, you, is, are you asking me this because maybe, maybe you want to become one of his followers? And so how did they respond at this point? They ridiculed him. They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. And the guy doesn't back down. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't, want, he wouldn't be able to do anything. I mean this guy had some guts right he had some courage these people had the power to make his life very difficult but you know i think he had sat there begging for many many years and he had watched them walk by and he had seen them for who they really were for 20 30 years he had been pushed aside every day he got up and just begged for food jesus had loved him, had healed him, and he wasn't about to back down. He stood up for the man who healed him. Imagine how bold we could be if we were once blind, living in darkness, unable to free ourselves, but then God did something that we could never do. Imagine how courageous I could be if I once was lost, but now I'm found. Once was blind, but now I see. Imagine how free I could be if grace my fears relieved. If I began to just get a glimpse, if I began to just understand that it is grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace has already take, always taken care of me, and guess what? Grace will lead me home I don't know what's around tomorrow. I didn't expect to be 2020 to be what it was. I have no idea what we're in store for in the last four months of 2020. But I know this. It's grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. People who see the world through Christ are kind of scary to those who are trapped in selfish blindness. You want to be a scary person? Be a God-fearing person. Fear God over man. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's about the strongest person, that's the strongest thing you can do. Instead of opening their eyes and seeing God, the Pharisees here returned to their darkest method. They started gaslighting, condescending, cruel, and they piled upon this man false guilt. They tried to basically shame himself back into the beggar's corner. Ah, you were born entirely in sin, and you're trying to teach us? And then notice what they do. They throw him out. They throw him out. All of his life he had been told You're a blind beggar, and you're this way, buddy, because of your parents. God doesn't love you. You've been cursed by God from your birth. And the people who were supposed to be the religious leaders, they looked at him and threw him out. But then in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and so he goes and finds them. Do you remember whenever Jesus found you? If you're online, if you have a keyboard in front of you, uh, just let everybody know, if you've had that moment, when was the moment when Jesus found you? Well, Jesus finds him, and he asks him this question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe? That was the great question of Christ. Do you believe? Do you believe in me? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. So what's the man's response in verse 38? What does he say? I, talk to me, I believe. I believe, and then he calls him, Lord, I believe, I I believe, Lord, he said, and then, notice, the immediate response of a believer is to worship. He worshiped him. And Jesus said, I came into this world, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. So this man's day began in physical darkness. But it ended with him being able to see. He had never seen colors. He had never seen the birds that sing. He had never seen the beauty of the green grass. But he saw. But his day also began in spiritual darkness. But then he met the light of the world. And so his day ended with eternal life. Now, Jesus didn't call him to understand it all. Jesus didn't tell him, hey, all right, now explain to me the first five books of the Old Testament, and please, if you can do that within the greater narrative of the redemption story, I'm listening, please begin. Jesus didn't give him a quiz. He didn't call him to understand it all. Jesus didn't even say, all right, now the first thing you need to do is you got to clean up your life because, man, you're really messed up. Jesus didn't say that to him either. Jesus didn't try to humiliate him and say, all right, well, let me pile a little bit more guilt upon you. Jesus called him to do what? Believe. Now, whenever we believe in Christ as Lord and then we worship Christ, guess what? It transforms everything about your life. And that's what he wants from us as well. So let me, let me land all this. Let me bring it all together with, with a question, all right? If you've drifted, come back to me now, all right? Where do you see yourself today? Where do you see yourself today? Let's give ourselves a little bit of a spiritual eye test. Do you see yourself in spiritual blindness? You haven't ever really seen, you have ever really taken that first step of faith and believed in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? That first step of faith, that moment of belief, that's, that's the initial step in your journey of Christianity. It's what we call being saved, being born again. It's the beginning point of that walk with Christ. Whenever you trust in Him, you believe in Him as Savior and Lord. So maybe if you're real honest with yourself, that, that's where you are right now. You need, you need to make that decision. Maybe you're listening in your living room or on the back porch, and that, that's where you are. Maybe you're a kid sitting next to your parents, and your parents are listening, and you've been hearing what I say today, and you're like, Mom, Dad, that, that's where I am. Or it might be that for whatever reason, you are spiritually unfocused, So there's been that time in your life where you trusted in Christ and you can see, but your eyes are out of focus. When I was in the eighth grade, actually it was younger than that, I was in the sixth or seventh grade, I started striking out all the time in baseball. Suddenly I started passing the ball to the wrong people in basketball and eventually figured out that I couldn't see. (laughs) My eyes had changed and I I just couldn't see, so I go to the eye doctor and the eye doctor is, you know, better, worse. Better. You know, you, you've been there before? And uh, I remember telling my eye doctor, I said, uh, man, how did I get bad eyes? And the eye doctor said something to me. He said, he said son, you, do, you don't have bad eyes. In fact, your eyes are really healthy. Your eyes are just out of focus. You just need glasses to help you be able to see. And there are times where we are spiritually alive. But through the course of life, we've gotten things out of focus. And perhaps today needs to be the day that you come back home. You get things refocused and reprioritized so that you're seeing the world through the lens of Christ. And then there are some. You're spiritually focused. You're walking with the Lord. And He is calling you calling you to take those steps of faith i thought it was so cool that over the last couple weeks we've had people volunteer for music ministry media ministry what are they doing they're taking those steps of faith that god's called them to and perhaps god has been showing you this is where i want you to go you need to follow me you need to follow me to what's next and i pray I pray that none of us today are like the Pharisees who have become so blinded by our own pride, blinded by our own selfishness, that we don't even see it when the Son of God is at work right in front of us. Look forward. God's calling you to what's next. Follow Him in faith. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? The band's going to come. They're going to lead us in some worship. We'll also have a time of giving, a time of announcements in a little bit. But before we do, if you could just bow your head. Wherever you're you're listening today, if you're in the room, if you're online, if you would just bow your head and focus with me. It could be that right now needs to be your moment of belief. You say, Lash, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. That's kind of the point. You're not doing anything. You're not necessarily saying any magical prayer. You're surrendering. You're surrendering to God. You're placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And so maybe like the man, you just need to call out to God and say, God, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. And I ask you to help me, to forgive me of my sin, to allow me to see the world through you and to be born again. Perhaps this is your moment in time, your moment with God, where for the very first time in your life you truly believe. I'm not asking you if you were raised in church, if your daddy was a deacon. I'm not asking you any of that stuff. I'm asking you this, is this your moment when you need to believe? And if this is your moment today, I would invite you, if you're here, come and find me after the service and just tell me, today I believed, Pastor. If you're online, maybe just type in, hey, today I believed. Today I was saved. Today was my moment. Whatever it is that you want to type in, today I, I believed in Christ. Perhaps you're here today and it needs to be a time of refocus. During all the busyness of life, you've just gotten things out of of focus. And you need God to refocus you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy, for your love. I thank you that in you there is a security of grace that we stand upon. Lord, we know that in Christ nothing will ever separate us from your love, that we are yours forever. And we know that in Christ, You call us to change and that through that change, we testify to your majesty and your glory. We are worshipers of you as our lives are being transformed by you for you. And I pray, Lord, that you might use our stories for your glory. And I ask, Father, that if we've gotten things out of focus, that you'll help us. Help us to get refocused. Help us, Lord, to to take those steps of faith and follow you. And I thank you for this man, this man whose entire life was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for his courage. He looked looked at these theological bullies in the eye, and he could actually see them for the first time. And the man who had been set free, he wasn't going to back down. I pray that we might have courage. Courage to live for you. Courage to worship you. Courage to be your people. To stand for truth. And Lord, may we do it all with love. By our love for one another, people will know that we are authentic, true disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to see you. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're in the room, if you'll stand with me, please. Let's sing this worship to the Lord.